Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Books in Psychology. I am Eugenio Duarte, your host, as well as a psychoanalyst and clinical psychologist in Miami. Today, we are talking about the phenomenon known in psychology as borderline, what it means, who it describes, and how best to understand it. My guest today is Zelczka Matijasiewicz, author of the new book, The Borderline Culture, Intensity, Jouissance, and Death, published in 2021 by Roman and Littlefield. I would like to say a few words about my guest. Zelczka is full professor in comparative literature at the Department of Comparative Literature and Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences at the University of Zagreb in Croatia. She got her BA in Comparative Literature and French Studies from the University of Zagreb. She holds a Master's in Philosophy and a PhD in Psychoanalytic Studies from the University of Cambridge in the UK. She's author of five books in Croatian, including Lacan, The Persistence of the Dialectics, published in 2005, Structuring the Unconscious, Freud and Lacan, published in 2006, An Introduction to Psychoanalysis, Oedipus Hamlet, Jekyll and Hyde, published in 2011, The Century of the Fragile Self, Psychoanalysis, Culture, Society, published in 2016, and Drama, Drama, published in 2020. She also wrote two literary works, Black Lymph slash Green Heart, an alternative dictionary of the psyche, published in 2017, as well as Defenses Tinged with Death, a psychoanalytic novel published in 2020. She is a member of La Fondation Européenne pour la Psychoanalyse and the Croatian Writers Society. Jelka, welcome to the show, and I apologize in advance for my mispronunciations. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for the invitation, and uh, those uh, mispronunciations were really minor. <laughs> thank you. I want to first congratulate you on the book, and I-, I hope you can tell us how it came into being. Well, actually, uh, this is the phenomenon, the borderline phenomenon is uh, something I have been 
uh, researching for, I think, more than 10 years. And it really started with, uh, with my uh, awareness how, uh, how many cases of the borderline personality disorders or people who have been diagnosed with such disorders uh, I have met. And uh, to my really, to my surprise, you know, those people really didn't have uh, that much in common. And uh, I really started investigating and uh, talking to people, and usually uh, those were uh, the people who have had one psychotic episode in their youth, in their, in their adolescence, or something like that. But people who basically uh, manifested uh, pretty much uh, all the traits that we would ascribe to uh, the neurotic personality. Yet, when it comes to the borderline, uh, and as the, the name itself signifies, it is really on the border between two very, very uh, strictly defined phenomena, and uh, it has it, it it really needs to have two very very strong categories so that it can be placed between. For for for, for example, from the beginning of psychoanalysis, those two strictly defined phenomena were neurosis and psychosis, and borderline was supposed to do, to reside in between. Uh, today, you know, and, and uh, there is really the pre prevalence of the borderline personality psychiatric disorder, which I really don't uh, tackle that much in my book, as my approach is uh, clearly uh, psychoanalytic. But today, when we think about the borderline personality, we mm -hmm. usually have in mind uh, a person, a character who has... Uh, uh, who has problems with regulating his affects, who has very, very, and this is probably most important, very intense affects uh, that have, have to be uh, channeled and somehow suppressed and uh, really, uh, um, yes, and suppressed and channeled. And also somebody who, if we relate to, to that person's cognitive styles, somebody who really tends to see other people and the world in general in black and white terms. Uh, basically, you, you would hear uh, probably from, uh, from the professionals that splitting is the main uh, word that defines the borderline, but I wouldn't be so sure about that. And uh, in this really perspective, uh, maybe those three um, uh, those three uh, things that I have uh, that I have mentioned: affective dysregulation, uh, splitting of uh, the uh, objects into good and bad, and seeing the world the world in polarized manner as black and white are uh, uh, most salient uh, characteristics. Also, there is uh, really a predominance of uh, negative over positive affects, which really the, the, uh, discerns the borderline category uh, from, example, uh, the bipolar disorder. So when you refer to the borderline, does that refer to a type of person or a kind of experience or maybe both? Well, uh, yes, that's a very good question because um, in my book uh, I uh, often use uh, 
the term, not the borderline personality, but the inhabitant of the borderland, which I think, uh, as you say, is it the type of person or is it the, the, the form of experience? I think it is both. I think it is both. And that there is uh, the tendency to really uh, generalize uh, the array of borderline phenomena. Uh, and I think that uh, this is really the case uh, where, uh, or, or, or type of disturbance, where one highly individualized uh, approach uh, can only be of any success. Because their experiences are... Uh, so difficult. There were many, many attempts to establish uh, some sort of a, of an early trauma uh, to the causes of the borderline personality, and to establish their uh, their equivalence uh, where one to one would uh, function. But it is not that way. Also, there is uh, when we talk about I think emotional intensity and really uh, good and bad. Uh, objects, uh, that emotional intensity, uh, we also have to admit that it is uh, only in part uh, genetical, yes, genetic, and uh, I would say I, I don't usually give genetics more than uh, 25 to 30 percent when it comes to, to this peculiar experience. But I think that about just by looking, uh, looking at those people as going through certain uh, very intense emotional experiences, uh, there is also a, sl- a chance, although a slim chance, that uh, those people will stop to be heavily stigmatized. And that, that was also uh, really, I think, the main purpose behind my writing of this book, uh, just to make sure that uh, there is, we have to uh, admit that there is a very strong stigma regarding the borderline personality because the borderline personality uh, usually, usually there are really uh, occasions and uh, of course uh, pre- uh, induced by certain uh, stressful uh, emotional experiences when they tend to display psychotic symptoms or have transient psychotic uh, episodes. Uh, and, uh, you know, there is this problem uh, in our culture which separates so clearly between neurosis and psychosis uh, still. So everything that is even has a psychotic tinge uh, clearly passes onto the uh, other stage. And this is the really uh, the stage of schizophrenia. So, and, and on the other hand, uh, I was really... I was really very enthusiastic about writing this book because I think that we, uh, in, in, in young people who uh, exhibit uh, some sort of uh, borderline personalities, there is so much to be done and so much can be done in those very early stages when they have had one psychotic episode, which is probably there, which can be very easily their last psychotic first first and last, uh, were it not, you know, this societal terrible stigmatization. And we all know how important is the work of early interventions in the case of first psychotic episodes. Well, I'm glad that we're talking about this and that you are mentioning that because... I've met several people who actually self-identify 
as borderline. Uh, there has been a lot of stigma attached to this this terminology, but as often happens with a pejorative terminology, the group to whom it applies sometimes takes it on and tries to use it in a constructive way. Um, but I think even people who see borderline in themselves don't all, don't always know what they can do or how they can heal. So when you say there are lots of things that we can do, especially if we're able to to intervene when when people are young or in the early part of their process, what are some of those things that that can be done? Well, actually, I think uh, that uh, that uh, the pa- paradox of the borderline personality is that you can really uh, do a lot at a, a very early stage be- before that person uh, becomes completely demoralized by the societal attitude towards uh, anybody who has had just one psychotic symptom. You know, we all know those those uh, really how people who are... Um, who don't know basically anything about psychology or psychoanalysis or mental diseases, how they are extremely frightened by uh, psychotic phenomena. And uh, I think we have to work, uh, and and I I think we are all working on three separate fronts. Uh, One front is, and and, and in the case, in in those cases, uh, first there is this uh, very, very difficult job of of, uh, raising uh, really uh, social awareness about the fact that not every psychotic symptom signifies schizophrenia. There is also the need uh, for uh, 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 psychoanalysts and psychotherapists to cooperate with uh, psychiatrists because in the case of the borderline uh, it is a very very common and almost the rule that both pharmacological therapy and psychotherapy or psychoanalytic therapy uh, go together so i think it it is really uh, it is called the borderline the borderline but this, but precisely that phenomenon urge, urges us to cross our disciplinary borders. Just my idea. <laughs> well, and speaking of the borders that we're crossing, of course, your book is entitled "Not the Borderline Person or the Borderline Phenomenon, but the Borderline Culture." And and this is a novel idea that you're introducing. What are you referring to with this? What is a borderline culture? Yes, that's uh, that, that, that's a very good question, as it is really the title of my book. Uh, you know, I I tried I tried, uh, I, I tried to, to relate uh, the societal and the and the individual in such a way that I asked myself, uh, what's the, what is the main texture of the modern society? And of course, this happened after I read. Uh, First time I thought about it when I read uh, Christopher Lash's Culture of Narcissism when I was still a student, and then started to thinking that there are some conspicuous phenomena which uh, really do not comply with uh, today's culture. And also, this was important. I uh, My intention was not to diagnose uh, the ills of the society, but rather to explain how the borderline personality comes to be shaped by the very texture of the society, uh, which means that we have uh, so many borders which uh, seem to be crumbling down. 
there is, uh, should I really mention this border between, uh, as we previously had uh, so, uh, the border so well established between the pleasure principle and the reality principle, and that now we have three types of reality, psychic, material, and virtual reality. So there are so many other borders uh, that uh, have somehow crumbled down, and we are uh, inv- not invited, but definitely it is socially acceptable to give free reign to our fantasies. Fantasy was always has always been in psychoanalysis um, the word with uh, how would I say <laughs> you know the phenomenon which the psychoanalyst has to really approach with 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 uh, with utmost care and and uh, cautiousness and now we have this uh, those social networks uh, all all other. Uh, uh, areas of virtual reality where, where, where we are enhanced to employ our fantasy uh, in order to create our not only social but our private selves. Also, please. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I just wanted to make sure I'm understanding your points. Are, are you saying, number one, that, that health, psych, psychological health depends on our ability to maintain certain borders, certain boundaries. And, and number, if that's the case, then are you further arguing, number two, that society, culture, at least in present day, is, is responsible for some of our difficulty maintaining those boundaries between outside and inside, reality and fantasy? Yes, definitely. That's the, that's, uh, I, I would say that represents uh, one of the main arguments uh, of my book is that, you know, uh, definitely the society uh, is responsible for, for the many ills that have really uh, uh, befallen uh, the borderline subjects, or shall we, uh, you know, we are now leaving the phenomena of purely something, uh, something which is related to emotional uh, disturbances. And another example is uh, that uh, when we talk about splitting uh, and uh, internal splitting uh, of uh, our internal good and bad objects, then uh, when you see the texture of modern Western society, pretty much everything that we see around is cast in a really black or white terms. And these are basically the, 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 the terms, black or white, which we have inherited I think from uh, theological discourses, and this is really uh, ideas, and they uh, have become, they have, uh, be, they have been reigning in political dis- discourses ever since the end of the Second World War. So basically, there are really very strict polarizations. Everything is seen in black uh, or white, and what we really, as as, as societies. Uh, really badly need are really uh, gray areas of moderation and uh, bringing and the possibility to bring together uh, even those views uh, 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 that seem uh, diametrically opposed. We need, uh, we need, badly need our transitional space in all areas of the, 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 the society, not just in the psychological area. We took it all. We brought them to our land. 
An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And, and are you talking about Western culture or are you talking about something different or something broader than that? I think, uh, you know, I think, well, actually, I had to restrict myself to analyzing the Western culture just because of the, of the accessibility and availability of the data. But I think that, uh, that those mechanisms can really be easily found uh, in all uh, other cultures. It's it just that uh, those uh, emotional disturbances which are uh, which that manifest themselves as seeing uh, the world in black and white, and all people in black, white, black and white are just not called uh, the borderline personality, as this is really clearly, clearly the Western, the Western uh, descriptor. It's clear that one person who influences your thinking on this is Jacques Lacan, who yes. some of my listeners might be familiar with him because he's been referenced on this show before. But for those who don't know or haven't heard about him before, can you tell us who he was and how his idea of jouissance influences your thinking? Yes, thank you. Yes, Jacques Lacan, uh, for, for, I'll just make a, a very brief introduction. Uh, Jacques Lacan uh, was the most ardent advocate of Freud, and he, uh, after Freud's death in the early 50s, he named his whole, his whole project uh, of uh, uh, revitalizing psychoanalysis as a return to Freud. Uh, this is because he thought that after Freud, psychoanalysis has uh, regressed to pure uh, clinical practice, and that uh, he thought that psychoanalysis, in Freud's view, ha- uh, was something that had uh, such a great import on culture and society in general. So basically, uh, well, he introduced uh, a really very, very complicated philosophical concepts into his thinking. We know that his writings are extremely hermetic. Uh, when you read Lacan, you get a lot of self-imposed torture, which is sometimes gratifying and sometimes it is not. <laughs> okay, but let's say that it's mostly gratifying. And Jacques Lacan uh, uh, basically... Uh, uh, I think this is this is kind of uh, anecdotal. Uh, Jacques Lacan uh, was uh, actually born uh, too late to be uh, to be sort of uh, one of uh, Freud's uh, dissidents, as he was really 
so uh, different to Freudian ideas, but then uh, he couldn't have finished the way Jung did, or Adler, or some others. So basically, Jacques Lacan proposed this concept, as you say, said, the concept uh, of jouissance, which is extremely, extremely t- t- thoughtful and uh, explains so many things. Uh, he uh, uh, explained this notion, uh, Freud talked about uh, the pleasure principle, but the pleasure principle was always related and is always related to the state, to the condition of homeostasis, of the constancy, of the constancy principle. It's just something that is pleasurable, but at, uh, but at the same time very moderate. And uh, the external stimuli uh, are brought to their minimum. But then Jacques Lacan says there is another form of pleasure which we'll call jouissance. Jouissance is basically the French word for orgasm. And jouissance, uh, Jacques Lacan says, is the, those are uh, extremely ecstatic, intense experiences where pleasure borders with pain. And I really used at large this concept of jouissance to explain how uh, uh, people in the 21st century enjoy themselves. It is not, I don't think they are led by the pleasure principle. I don't think that we are prone to moderate or, or moderate uh, uh, pleasures or minor things or really small pleasures. I think there is really this tendency which is, uh, and that's also another uh, important argument of, of my book, I think. You know, this this whole uh, strand is, is, is produced by the mass media that promote and foster extreme uh, experiences, extreme intensities, uh, whether it is in the, in the form of extreme sports, and, uh, of course, uh, in my book, I relate to uh, this obsession with intense experiences as uh, being really born in the countercultural 60s in a different way. But You know, I want to get into the influence of your thinking on the counterculture, but, but before we leave Jouissance, are you, are, are you saying that maybe I'm making a connection here and you let me know if I'm, if I've got it or not, but that jouissance is another illustration of an inability to tell the border between say pleasure and pain. And and so if that's a symptom of society, is that one more way in which society is shaping the borderline person, the borderline subject? Yes, this is precisely what I, I, I hope to have put in this book. This is, I think, just the main form. I, I really contend that the main form of pleasure that the society is uh, uh, imposing onto us is this form of pleasure where you can't really have pleasure without pain. And I think, and nobody thinks that this is really problematic. You know, people really torture themselves <laughs> at the price of uh, pleasure. Or sounds. You know, it makes me think about an area of work um, that that, or an area that I, I treat a bit in my own practice, and that's eating disorders, and particularly the phenomenon uh, 
that you see with, with people who struggle, for instance, with binge eating disorder, whereby they, that, that maybe it starts off as pleasure, but the eating continues to a point where it tips, it leaves pleasure and it tips over into pain. But by the time that that has happened, it's too, it's too late that the, the person didn't have a chance to realize that some sort of order was crossed. Does, does that jive at all with, with your model here? Yeah, I think it, I, I really think it definitely does because uh, you are uh, sort of invited to a certain form of pleasure, but uh, this pleasure uh, gets more and more intense. And at one point, uh, this pleasure will turn, will turn into pain. And then you won't be, but that, but the moment, but the very moment uh, in which the pleasure turns into pain, uh, as you said, it may already be uh, too late. To uh, and there is also this uh, this problem with intense experience that people who have had them uh, just can't forget them. There is really something something very very um, addictive. Uh, in terms of uh, intense experience, whether we co- whether we talk about uh, sexual experiences or other types of experiences uh, that are intense, that they they are really similar to heavy heavy addictions. You, you 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 say in the book that one of the things that you think has contributed to the culture's. Um, valorization of intensity is, as you mentioned, 1960s counterculture, as well as late capitalism. How do you think that these are connected to your understanding of borderline culture? Well, uh, my first uh, my first thought, uh, and I always thought about uh, intensity and uh, you know, maybe maybe I have had too many contacts with, with, with people who think that intensity is an absolute absolute uh, fulfillment of life. <laughs> maybe this book is a revenge. <laughs> well, well uh, basically, I connected the two uh, by the fact that uh, whether we talk about the 60s counterculture and uh, the, the forerunners of the counterculture, the beatniks, uh, intensity was, I think, the key word, especially in terms, it was, uh, you know, if we if we just recall that very, very banal uh, um, uh, formula, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but basically all that intensity was really led by drugs. And, and, and drugs were given then, and uh, drugs which were not then illegal, they were sort of uh, they were presented as an evolutionary tool, something which will lead the individual to a higher state of consciousness. And basically, they they, uh, they their idea was to really break down the con- conformist ego and to open up to a higher self. So basically, this is where we uh, where the intensity I think where the intensity of the West was uh, uh, born. On a larger scale, but then now, uh, uh, how to relate this? Uh, re- how can we relate that to capitalism? 
Well, the fact is that, you know, intensity, everybody thought that, uh, you know, being very intense, being very, very rebellious, uh, uh, crushing down uh, the, the boundaries was very, very uh, subversive. But actually, nobody thought uh, of the fact that intensity may not be subversive because there, there is, a, from the beginning, uh, capitalism really co-opted at, at, at the speed of light the value of intensity because there is something very intense about uh, the consumer. And, and, and we, we can see how in, in, in the counterculture and, in, in, and then capitalism, the dissident and the consumer really uh, overlap. Because, you know, uh, if you go on your shopping spree, you need your intensity. People who are not intense uh, just don't do that. They mostly hate, you know, malls and shopping. <laughs> but you're saying this is part of the culture, or this, this is at the core of capitalism. Uh, you have a great quote, by the way, that I want to share with our listeners, uh, which goes, quote, Capitalism cannot be domesticated. It cannot be made less intense, end quote. So, so you're saying that capitalism by nature is, it, is, it, is intense. It does not promote moderate consumption. It promotes intense, continuous consumption. Yes, definitely. And, and, and I was really relating to the definitions of late capitalism that were already made by the authors of the Frankfurt School. But, but that's the really this trap of capitalism. You can't have a moderate capitalism. You can't have a moderate uh, development because uh, the, the very logic of capitalism is such that it can uh, survive only uh, in as much it is uh, exuberant. And frantic. So, so, oh, sorry. Please go ahead. No, no, no. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> <You go. laughs> I was, I was just thinking about whether we can bring this back to the individual, and I want to hear your thoughts about how this works at the individual level. Because if, if it's the case that society has become somewhat borderline, meaning intolerant of of boundaries, uh, seeking ever more intensity. And if, if, if we're creating borderline people, or if that's the argument, why do you think only some people develop what in the consulting room we think of as a, as a borderline condition, while others clearly don't? Yes, that, 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 that's the most important. Uh, this, that's the, the most important question, which relates, uh, which is connected to the relation between the social and the psychological. It is uh, it is uh, akin to asking why some young girls develop anorexia and others don't. So basically, we need both uh, uh, conditions to develop a, bird, a borderline uh, personality. Uh, but I would never say uh, that uh, psychological factors are the only ones uh, which we uh, have to bear in mind. So basically, there are uh, really, as is in the case, and anorexia, I think, uh, uh, is, is a very good example. Uh, you know, there is this very strong societal pressure on, on, on female uh, skinniness, and uh, uh, we have to ask ourselves how some young girls uh, manage to uh, rebel themselves and to create a distance towards this societally imposed uh, 
imposed uh, uh, form of uh, uh, modern female uh, beauty. So basically, we need both uh, factors. I think that the signals, uh, for example, uh, you know, I, I quoted one really uh, fantastic article from a leftist, uh, from a, from one leftist activist, uh, when, when she said, you know, uh, by uh, really by uh, organizing our different uh, different events and by being always uh, out in the streets, uh, we are burning out. We are burning out, and this is precisely what capitalism wants of us. And then basically she says, this is not, uh, no, 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 we, we have to uh, uh, sort of choose a, a different uh, approach to uh, a, a different uh, opposition to capitalism. And I think uh, that there are, there are, I think that moderation is the concept that we will, that, that will come come into the fore in the next uh, decades. Because I think when it comes to burnouts, to overworked people, to uh, chronically exhausted people, I think that uh, we have reached uh, the cultural and economic apogee. So I think uh, maybe, you know, moderation. There, there is also, there, there, there is uh, even those concepts like um, first, there was a concept of a slow dining, and now I see that the the adjective slow has been even introduced into science as slow science, and I, and I think we just need. Uh, I know this sounds terribly utopian, but but I think it really uh, uh, has uh, it really uh, has something to do with the fact that only moderation uh, can save us from the pitfalls of 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 of, of life uh, of, of the life which uh, uh, somebody told us uh, is not worth living if it is not intense there is also something very very problematic about those experiences it is almost you didn't live if you didn't have one near-death experience Jelka, this has been a fascinating conversation, and it is a fascinating book on on a fascinating and, and really important topic. Um, we are almost out of time, but before you go, I want I want to know what you're working on now. Well, actually, I, I uh, recently I wrote uh, two non uh, non scientific books, and now I'm thinking because they were written in Croatian. Now I'm uh, slowly translating parts of my uh, psychoanalytic novel, Defense is Tinged uh, with Death. And uh, the funny part of that book is that it contains uh, conversations uh, between Freud, uh, Lacan, and Jung, who just from uh, from the outer space talk about uh, the characters and we can see sort of the differences between them. And uh, this is something I'm working uh, on sort of almost uh, every day. That sounds like a fascinating read. And I I hope that once it is done and out in English, you will give us a call. I would love to have you back to talk about it. Um, I want to thank you for being on the show. Let me remind our listeners who I've been speaking to. I've been speaking to Jelka Matijasevich. And her book is entitled The Borderline Culture, Intensity, Jouissance, and Death. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eugenio. Thank you.